Hey everybody, Jackson here. Just wanted to give you some information before the show starts. When we recorded this episode of Guess That Record, the static shift consisted of Mitchell Brady and Isaiah Stonehouse. However, in the time since this episode was recorded, Isaiah has left the band. The static shift now consists of Mitchell Brady and Kyle Tanove. So yeah, with that in mind, here is the next episode of Guess That Record. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Guess That Record. I am your host, Jackson Reed. This is the show where we talk about music and try to figure out which album I picked from my collection. Thanks once again to everyone that's been listening. It's crazy we're now at four episodes with more to come. This week on the podcast, we have one half of a duo from my hometown of Calgary, Alberta. Inspired by classic rock, their singles Wide Awake and 1965 hit number 7 and number 14 respectively on the Canada Active Rock charts. They've also had the chance to tour and perform alongside bands such as Billy Talent, Kansas, and Trooper. I'm very happy to welcome Mitchell Brady of The Static Shift to guess that record. How are you doing, Mitch? Great, Jackson. Thanks for having me here today, man. Yeah, and I'm happy to have you on the show mm-hmm. because this is the first episode of Guess That Record that we're doing in person. Um, it's kind of kind of nice to escape Zoom totally. how we've been because that's how we've been doing all the episodes so far here. Right. Uh, now we're here at Broken Tap Records in Calgary. Uh, and Mitch, can you tell the listeners a bit more about Broken Tap and uh, what the space you guys have here? Yeah, absolutely, man. We're uh, we're here at Broken Tap Records. We're a fairly new record label uh, based out of Calgary, Alberta. Uh, really fortunate to be, you know, in the crossroads market uh, located there. Uh, so we're pretty centralized, which is great. Um, Broken Tap Record, Broken Tap Records motto is if you create it, own it. So we're all about making things easier for the artist. And uh, we're trying to just gain more recognition for artists because it's a tough industry. <laughs> I mean, we all, you know, are trying to make it in some way or another. And there's a very small percentage that, you know, makes it in quotation i guess so i mean we're just trying to help each other out and uh we're lucky we only have a few artists on the uh, roster right now uh one being the static shift uh finley mcdowell and we're working on a few others as as well right now so it's really exciting man i mean to be part of a record label by any means is is something i've always dreamed of doing so the fact these guys have me on board here is uh just excellent and i can't wait to see what uh what future endeavors we make happen yeah <laughs> you guys the static shift were previously with big machine records is that correct that is correct yeah yeah, yeah so, so we were yeah it was a uh, interesting time <laughs> mm-hmm. so the, just i guess give us a timeline a bit of of that and then how you ended up here at broken tap yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so we were fortunate enough to be on a Canadian national broadcasted TV show, which was called The Launch, uh, which really helped us connect with all those artists that you mentioned uh, on your list there. So, yeah, we've been extremely fortunate to be able to do quite a few things just from that show. Um, So, and like you said, yeah, we were signed with uh, Big Machine Records, um, which was a really excellent experience for us. I mean, obviously, we kind of feel like nobody's uh, from a small, from Calgary, right? So, I mean, 
the fact we got to be a on a national tv show and be signed for a period of time which was like over a year it was great um again we learned quite a lot uh we didn't end up staying with big machine just because again it was a big learning curve for us so we uh we learned what it was like working with the label and uh, the ins and outs of kind of the industry because uh, it really did hit us kind of full blast mm-hmm. <laughs> which was great but Part, parts of it were slightly overwhelming so i mean that's what kind of led us to making the educated decision of uh not being with the label just because i mean the world is your oyster i mean a label is very helpful obviously mm, yeah. <laughs> like let's be real but um at the end of the day i think you need to work with the right people um and and i don't think uh things correlated like properly at the end of the day with with us so you know it is what it is and again now we're here i mean uh we're really lucky to have a guy like uh, chris davies he's the owner of broken tap records uh again he's super like artist forward thinking so when he told me about that you know i was working at ups as a driver and it wasn't that enjoyable (laughs) i you know i learned a lot there too but at the same time it just wasn't particularly for me so again when I was kind of coming out of that, I, I said, well, is there any musical opportunities? And Chris started up Broken Tap Records. So, I mean, it's just been a really great change of pace. And uh, as opposed to like Big Machine, there's a lot more, again, artist uh, control, which is great. So, um, yeah, it's just been the last kind of month of creating and making things happen. And it's it just feels like a, a lot more has been done in the last month than the last year right? <laughs> being right. here. So uh, I think we're going in the right direction, which is wicked. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so did uh, did Broken Tap start in the last year or so here? Yeah, Broken Tap's a very new label. I'd say it's coming on the cusp of being a year old. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really close to kind of continuing our snowball effect here should i say we're uh again looking at a bunch of new artists so it's great it's really exciting man so yeah mm-hmm. um now i always like to ask people on the show to start off but what was the first song or album that you heard that made you take music seriously oh man uh it was definitely led zeppelin 2 right uh, yeah what a oh, dude just so influential i think jimmy really inspired me when i was young i was super lucky i got to see uh it might get loud which is a documentary with uh jack white and the edge Edge as well exactly so i mean seeing that as you know a 12 year old kid or 13 years old whenever it was released Mm -hmm. it was it was just like i don't know what i didn't know what i had seen at the time i was just so mystified and there's a scene where Jimmy Page is like playing his guitar like in this room full of amps and I was like that is what I want to do like that yeah. is so cool yeah and it's just so like I don't know he seemed into it you know and I was like I want to be into something like that that was that's really cool so um yeah and so then yeah Ramble On's off Led Zeppelin 2 and and I was like really into that whole album for a while and Moby Dick and stuff, all these crazy riffs, man. Yeah. They're just wicked. So, yeah, Zeppelin 2 is probably, I'd have to say. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, for me, it was the Beatles yeah. when I was like 11. Nice. Then I kind of lost interest for a bit. But then when I got to high school, yeah. then I got into Zeppelin. Right. And that kind of started my 
interest in music all over again really really yeah, yeah. so zeppelin kind of sparked it a lot for you they as were, well yeah they were one of the bands that huh. that really got me like pursuing it seriously like i am now hey, so man they're they're really good for a reason they yep. they, they uh toppled the beatles for a reason I yeah. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah now um for those unfamiliar with the Static Shift, uh, Mitch, you are the lead singer and guitarist, mm-hmm. and Isaiah Stonehouse plays the drums. Uh, so how did you? So I guess going back to seeing Jimmy Page and it might get loud. Is that kind of what made you want to start playing guitar? I'd say it definitely wanted to make me start like playing in bands, right? Because there's so many shots of them, you know, all playing in their bands that they were in in yeah. that film. So I mean. I said, wow, what, I want to be a part of a group as well. So that definitely, that documentary cued, like it sparked a lot of inspiration for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up, yeah, it, it, drive, it drove me to like finding my peers, you know, which peers played music and how we could like start bands and probably was in a few, like three or four kind of not so good. Basement bands. Yeah, mm-hmm. basement bands before like, the static shift started getting together and we right. like all met each other and stuff initially. So yeah, honestly, so blessed to just play music with the people I like. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, now in the, the, in the past, you guys have played as a trio, mm-hmm. uh, but you've been a, a duo for the last little while now. Mm-hmm. What's the difference for a band to be just two people uh, from like a performing and recording standpoint? Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, it's definitely, it's, odd when you don't have like the instant kind of like base right there uh but i mean i think it's kind of okay because like we we've made it work uh there's a lot of our favorite bands like the black keys white stripes like they're all duos mm-hmm. and uh you know last summer i played all, all, all the bass parts on the stuff we were recording so we didn't really come into any roadblocks in terms of you know missing like the sound it was just kind of you know, now we're a two piece. Okay, how can we keep driving it and like giving it some some energy and stuff? So, yeah, I, it was like a bit of a oh no, but at the same time, it's like we love playing music, so we know no matter what you know missing link or whatever is going on, we just want to keep playing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, honestly, really cool that. Uh, I mean, I love Isaiah; he's such a great drummer, man. So he's so easy to work out parts with and stuff as yeah. well. So, yeah, man. Now, uh, how did you and Isaiah meet and start playing together? Well, Isaiah actually, he um, <laughs> he moved from Salt Spring Island. Oh, yeah. Which is very small island off the coast of western uh, British Columbia. So for those who don't know, and yeah, it's like a kind of hippieville. So he came, you know, from there to Calgary, which is quite a larger city in comparison. So he had to... He did some searching to, to be in a band because he was in a band at Salt Spring Island. And he found our flyer within the first week that he was in town. So we were pretty stoked. Uh, he phoned my cell phone because it was like a direct link to my phone number. And I, I interviewed him on the spot. And he just was super personable and a great cat. So I was like, man, we got to give this guy a try. And yeah, man, it's... Uh, it's tough to find uh, human metronomes. Yeah. <laughs> but Isaiah's really good, man. So That's good. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, 
Uh, I was thinking it would be cool if you could give the listeners like a run through of your albums and singles that you guys have released. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So it started with our first project, which uh, we went to Revelstoke, BC, Mm -hmm. took all of our gear in a trailer and set it up in a family friend's living room in, in their cabin and just recorded a full album. They were all songs we had been playing for a certain period of time, but, um, yeah, we, we set up our album, or we set up all the stuff and recorded Windsor Street, which is our first full-length album. It's a ton of fun. Uh, we had Isaiah's dad, uh, Christian Stonehouse, produce and mix and master. And, like, we're super fortunate because, you know, Christian is someone who's been in the music industry for so long. So it was extremely helpful having him there, mm-hmm. uh, which was great for the first project. And then again for the second project, which was our EP uh at odds um christian helped us again with that we recorded that just in his basement which was wicked so um and then i believe after that we released um common bliss which was our live off the floor album recorded at ocl studios Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was uh under producer russell broom another calgary local great he is just awesome to work with he was a treat and a real great experience and then i guess after that we released we were on the uh launch tv show so we were fortunate enough to release wide awake the song off the show uh and then with the label we produced a couple songs called the uh, 1965 and deja vu just a couple singles and then most recent projects that we've been able to release in the last year were feeling fine and bottom line which are our we're pretty stoked about those singles because it's kind of our first release after the label and yeah it was just refreshing to finally get something out there you know yeah (laughs) and it was the the newest songs were done here at broken tap actually they were recorded at uh ocl studios okay yeah but um right as we were kind of finalizing those songs that's when we uh were looking into getting a studio space right broken tap was probably acquired not too far after we recorded those last two so yeah yeah it's uh it's wicked i mean and you did the music video here yeah for yeah. sure yeah yeah and actually a lot of the crew here at broken tap like helps has helped us you know film the music video and and the whole nine yards like finley the other artist under the label mm-hmm. her whole video that was made recently and released recently was all made here so it's a great space it's been wicked man yeah mm-hmm um now if you had to pick one song from your guys catalog Mm -hmm. uh that you're most proud of which would that be oh man oh that's a toughie uh i'd say like off the cuff for me it's probably uh 1965 um even though it was with the label like it was great uh we got to work with um brian howe howie out of uh out of vancouver island and he was just wicked he was uh a treat he knew like he knew us really well right away because he just kind of dug our sound and Mm -hmm. it just felt really good i was really proud of my vocals on 65 especially but uh yeah it was a lot of fun doing something in a new studio as well that was recorded in the armory studios in vancouver so just a treat man i love those uh singles deja vu in 1965 yeah (laughs) and uh as i mentioned in the intro uh you guys have had the chance to share the stage with a lot of big names what have been some memorable shows for the band oh man i 
definitely would say playing the Coca-Cola stage at Stampede, which is uh, hence been uh, destroyed, destroyed and yeah. teared down. Yeah, so we're uh, it's kind of a bummer to see it go, but like in the grand scheme of things, we were one of the last bands to like play the stage because we opened for Billy Talent a f- quite a few like five or six years ago now, uh, right after the launch, and then we got to open up for the Trues uh, at most recent. A stampede there as well so it was just great um being able to play at that show and there was like five or six thousand people there and that mm-hmm. was like one of the first times you know it was like a sea of heads and we were like whoa so that was cool but I, i'd say our or at least my absolute top of the line show was opening up for kansas in toronto at the cne there was like close to ten thousand people there and it was just like so overwhelming it was a half hour set of like pure energy i don't even remember it because and i was very sober 100 percent. but it was just like it was so amazing having that much energy and that many eyes on you it was really made you nervous but it was a good it really fueled the live show right so it was great we got to meet a couple members from uh kansas as well that night so and i I met rob reiner the drummer from anvil at that show as well so and it was he was just like watching us play so that was so cool yeah yeah (laughs) and so yeah you you guys have had the chance to play a few shows outside of calgary uh and and work with artists from other places Mm -hmm. do you think calgary has a specific sound when it comes to the artists that are from here um, I'd say, I'd say Calgary has a unique sound. Yeah, I'd say in a good way. I mean, uh, we're, we have a rich uh, community of arts here. I mean, um, it's, it's really exciting that we have the YYC Music Awards and stuff that kind of brings Calgary musicians into the light. So, mm-hmm. um, I feel like there is a certain sound, uh, like I love the dudes as well. They're a great, uh they're a great band that I've seen play in Calgary a lot. And I think they've like influenced Calgary sound, should I say? But yeah, um, I think Calgary has a unique sound. I wouldn't go as far to say like it shares like the Hannah Alberta Nickelback sound. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But like not much does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is all right. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, no, it's, it's great. Uh, Calgary has a, a rich community of artists again, like I said, so, I think we do have our own unique sound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, um, the whole music industry has been hit pretty hard by COVID. Mm-hmm. So what has the pandemic been like for the static shift? Well, it brought a few changes for sure for us. I mean, it was a big lull for us and all of our musician friends. We kind of all were put on hiatus. Um, but at the same time, it kind of led a lot of artists, not just ourselves, to like write a lot more and reflect and kind of decide how you want to go about your future endeavors, I guess. Because it's like the first time a lot of our musician friends and even ourselves were like on break, on a break and not yeah. doing much, right? Because we're all pushing the next show and pushing merch and the next thing, the next thing. So yeah it was a good kind of reflective period for us um yeah i'd say ultimately we're we're looking forward to when shows can kind of come back around and you know less restrictions and stuff but we'll take obviously whatever we can right now i mean playing music is so essential i think 
for society as well. Like people go to a show and they haven't been to one for a while and it, and it hits them. They go, wow, this is like, like I could feel this in my body. Right. So I, I think everyone needs it more than they know. So, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, I mean, we had an okay, uh, COVID time. We did lots of writing, recording and, uh, reflecting. So, yeah. And since we're recording still sort of at the start of the new year mm-hmm. here, what are the band's plans for 2022? Man, I'd say our, we're kind of just getting the ball rolling again right now. Uh, this new year, you know, I, I got a new job and I am have way more time to like put towards music, which is the biggest thing right now. So I'd say our goal is to uh, try to play where we can uh, despite restrictions uh, and, you know, working alongside them. And probably to release some music uh, middle to late summer. Uh, we definitely want to keep people engaged and uh, keep it going as much as we can man we just love releasing music yeah playing for people that's those are the two kickers for us so yeah well (laughs) i i feel like it's probably we're we're definitely getting it seems like concerts are gonna start coming back yeah as we're getting closer without a doubt you know like i mean fingers crossed it's right around the corner but hey we'll uh we'll wait it out we've been waiting two years now so yeah (laughs) and i mean i suppose the good thing sort of with how technology is these days is that you know i mean especially for my own music i mean i've i've only played one show since the pandemic started right yeah uh but i've been getting a lot of opportunities just because you can you can do you can still sort of promote your music totally without having to play live so it's true and you could sit down and connect with people more because i mean let's face it we're not the only cats at home on the laptop trying to you know, work and make things happen, right? So, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, so now we're moving into a segment that we debuted on the previous episode of Guess That Record called Show and Tell, mm-hmm. uh, which gives the guest a chance to talk about an album we or they own. Uh, so before we recorded, I said to you to bring the most valuable record that you own in your collection. Then that was so, a tough one, man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Mitch, you can bring out... Uh, your album now and talk yeah, about it 100 percent, man so i brought so when you say one of my most like the most valuable record in my collection it was real tough for me to narrow it down because i i love so many records man like personally i just really do but if we're really talking about importance and kind of like influence on 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 me this record ha- is it uh, and that record is inner speaker mm-hmm. by tame impala so it's it, tame impala's first record that uh that kevin parker ever released um and it's like i'm a bit of a creature of habit i'll, I'll listen to albums that i like over and over and over yeah. again so this uh, you know some records over that exercise get kind of boring right. <laughs> but that's not every record and this record i just know i know and like probably till i die i'll always find it interesting it's it's just full of like really crazy effects. Um, it has some of my favorite songs ever recorded on it. I know um, Alter Ego is literally, well, it's probably one of my favorite songs, yeah, ever recorded, period. Um, there's just some great lyrics in it. Um, and the fact, the, the biggest thing for me in terms of this record is that, again, it's Kevin Parker's one guy. That right. did all of this, man. It's a really complex, kind of psychedelic record. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
to listen and to go, wow, this is all one guy who laid down the drums, bass, all those guitars, keys. Like, it's really crazy to for me to like fathom him doing it all kind of by himself. And I, I think he does have another a keyboard guy that he works with, which I don't know his name right now. But um, it's just great, and you can tell that Kevin cares about uh quality because he put um how many is it's like yeah 11 songs on two records right so you know the grooves are really spaced apart just to make everything sound so clear and like i respect that i respect the quality over quantity it's not a massively long album but right Man, it's just excellent. So I highly recommend anyone uh, giving... I know a, a lot of people are familiar with Tame Impala's newer stuff. Um, but yeah, give give their older stuff a listen, man. It's great. <laughs> Where did you get that copy? I got this copy, I believe, at Recordland in Calgary, Alberta. Which, That's my store, too. That is the... If you are if you live in Calgary, you got to hit up Recordland because yeah. they, they know what they're talking about for yeah. sure. <laughs> and... This isn't sponsored by Recordland, but <laughs> I agree. It's it, I've been to record stores all over, and yeah. I find like it just has everything you need. Yeah, and because I've I've been to other record stores where I'm like, man, they don't they don't have anything here. Like there's there's lots of stuff, but there's nothing I want. No, Recordland right. always has what I want for the most part. Oh, so. for sure, and I always find it's it's it can be overwhelming because there's yeah. hallways of just pure records, and it's like. If you're patient enough, man, it's just heaven. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You definitely need a game plan when you go to record land. I think you're right, and a and a record limit. Yeah, <laughs> like how many you're gonna buy? I brought. Um, so for my most valuable album here, I brought "All Things Must Pass" by George Harrison. Great. So I bought this one at Recordland as well. Nice. Um, because I've I've been wanting this one on vinyl for a while, but I I've never been able to find it. Mm. And then. Uh, like maybe a month ago or so, I was in Recordland, and I found it. Uh, and I I noticed it was a bit more expensive than normal, but I thought, well, it's three albums, so that must be why. Right. But um, then when I got home, I noticed that it had the uh, if I can open it up here. Yeah. It had um, the Apple uh, catalog number on the side, so I thought, well, that. It's interesting because, because you know, on newer pressings they didn't have Apple. Yeah, records. that's right for sure. So then I started looking around more, and I thought, hmm, this might be a first pressing. So yeah, when I I noticed in the credits here on the inside of the album, sure, Eric Clapton is listed, and he's not listed in in the newer press in newer pressings yeah, because sure. of contractual things. Mm. And then I did more digging, and I found out that this copy that I own here is a american first pressing of all things must pass yeah so this was uh this was pressed at the Capitol records winchester virginia plant wow and uh yeah so it when i found that out i was like nice because yeah i don't i don't really history right there yeah i mean when i was listening to it it was kind of weird to think like wow this is how it would have sounded when you bought the album yeah right when it was released sort Mm -hmm. of thing wow and um yeah, it. Uh, so it's kind of disappointing. I'm not going to play it much now. Not <laughs> <laughs> now that you know the secret. Yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't. I don't have many. I think this might be the only first pressing of an album that I own. Excellent. So uh, yeah, wow. it's a good one. And um, yeah, I've I've 
I kind of, starting with the uh, Get Back documentary, I, I got on a huge Beatles kick again. Mm. And, um, nice. yeah, I've been, I've been looking at, like, rare Beatles albums, and I keep thinking, like, oh, man, when, once I have a lot of money, I'm going to splurge on, like, the butcher cover of yesterday and today <laughs> the, with the baby part yeah it's so weird i know totally they, they have one of those at record land they do yeah they like man we we definitely repped them well because they got uh they got everything man. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's great this episode of guess that record is sponsored by marvel marketing marvel marketing is a full service digital marketing agency headquartered in calgary alberta that creates digital impact for your company. To find out more, visit marvelmarketing.ca. All right, Mitchell. It's time to move into the guessing portion of this podcast. Okay, I'm nervous. For which it gets its name. All right. For you and any uh, new listeners out there, I'll go over the rules. Uh, So I have a bag over in the corner here, uh, which has an album that I pulled from my collection of over 400. Uh, I will give you three clues about that album, uh, and then you can ask me 15 yes or no questions to try and determine the identity of the album. Okay. Uh, just a small tip for you. You can immediately ask questions like, is it songs in the key of life? Or something like that. But okay. if all of your questions are like that, you may run out of them by the end. So Fair. Mitchell Brady, are you ready to guess that record? Let's do this, Jackson. All right. Here are your three clues. This album was released in the 1970s. It features three of the most recognizable songs in rock music. And this album was originally conceived as a rock opera that told a story. Okay. Okay. Question one. Okay. That that last one, that last piece of information was important. Okay, first question. U.S. based band or U.K. based band? They are U.K. based. U.K. based. Okay, okay. Question two. U.K. based. Okay. Um. Okay. Um. Lemon twigs are from the States. Okay. Um. Does the lead singer have long blonde hair? Yes. Okay, okay. That narrows it down pretty good. Question three. Okay. Was their drummer as good, if not, like, people looked up to him as much as John Bonham? Yes. From Led Zeppelin? Yes. Question four. Does, is one of the songs on the record we're talking about? Pinball Wizard. It's not. Pinball oh. Wizard is not on. It's not on this album that we're talking. Yeah. Oh. Huh. He's throwing a curveball at me, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um. Okay. Well. Oh, that's fair. Question five. Okay. If that is the case, you said rock opera. Rock opera. Okay. I'm, I might try and guess it, Jackson. All right. Because I think I get a feeling. Is it uh, Tommy, the Who? It's not Tommy. Oh. Tommy Tommy came out in 1969. No way! So, but you're very close. Okay. You're very close. Okay, okay, okay. Question six. Rock opera. So just to, huh. to clarify, huh. the, al- the album was originally conceived as a rock opera. 
I understand. Okay, okay, okay. So okay. it's not actually a rock opera, but it was written to be one mm. initially. Hmm. Okay. Is the guitar player an astrophysicist? No. Mm-hmm. Question seven. Just to just to give you a hint, uh, you were you were on the very right track with Tommy. Okay. Okay. Don't stray too far. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking. Hmm. Yeah, Tommy is was my probably one of my closest guesses. Oh, UK based. I love I love British rock. That's why I'm pretty bummed right now. I'm kind of <laughs> slumped. <laughs> well, you're you're very close. You're very mm. close. Okay, Jackson. Um So the band is not The Who, but it, it is It is The Who. I'll give you that. Okay. Well, then it's... Man, I hate to say it, Jax. I'm pretty stumped. There... I know Tommy was their rock opera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we're talking about a conceived record, so... My guess... My solid guess... Oh... Blanking now on the record name, but I can see the cover! <laughs> um... The Who? Oh, Jackson. It's the. I'll give you another hint. It's the one right at, that came out after Tommy. So Tommy, 1969, their next studio album. Literally. Is it the one with Behind Blue Eyes on it? Yes. Okay. Question eight. Why kind of can't remember the name of the record? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jackson, you may have to. Help me out here, man. I know it's them with the with the cement monolith. Yep. And I'm pretty sure Roger Daltrey was walking away from taking a pee on it. They they all did. Yeah. <laughs> they all did. Isn't it called Monument or something? Nope. <sighs> Question nine. Okay. So it is the blue album cover. Yeah, like, you got the album yeah, cover right. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Does the album... Man, I know the album name. Man, I don't... It has the one behind Blue Eyes on it, but I can't remember the name of the record right now, guys. Uh, I'll give you another hint so yeah. we can we can get you the name here. Yeah. Uh, the band's name is in the title. Who's next? Congratulations. Oh! Man. It is. <laughs> Who's next? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that record. I haven't listened to it in a minute, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one. yeah. One. My my favorite Who album. Nice. Um. So when did, uh, when do you remember first getting into the Who? Oh, man. Probably seeing, like, a video when I was younger of Pete smashing his Rickenbacker into his amp. Yeah. It's like a some sort of pop festival or Monterey something. Pop. It, it, I guess it was the Monterey Pop where he did that, and <laughs> seeing that type of anger is pretty crazy on stage as mm-hmm. a, I don't know, a Calgary-based musician. Like, it's it. I've never heard of anyone doing anything like that, and it's when I was younger, I was like, why is he doing that? Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't know, man. Yeah, I love Pete Townsend, and I'd say 
the who was locked into my I love these guys repertoire when I watched the Woodstock documentary yeah because they are just wicked on there I'm so bummed I couldn't remember the name <laughs> well we got it so nice. it's all good yeah good work it's funny um you bring up Monterey Pop so mm-hmm. uh at that so for those the Monterey Pop Festival happened in 1967 and it was kind of the first psychedelic festival um when you when you look at sort of the history of that movement and stuff mm. and it was also the introduction for a lot of rock bands that were still kind of starting out they they hit it big after playing Monterey, Monterey right. so the who uh were, they were on their first trip to America as was Jimi Hendrix Ah. And they were supposed to play back to back, and they had a big fight over who was going to go first. Oh, of course, they because did. they both wanted to smash their guitars. <laughs> so the Who went first. Jimi Hendrix went after uh, the Who, and of course, Jimi lit his guitar on fire. That's why that was so iconic. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And um, the funny thing, I saw. So there's a museum in Seattle called the Experience Music Project. And they have a bunch of Hendrix memorabilia. They have his Woodstock guitar. Wow. They also have um, the chunk from that guitar that he lit on fire, like where the where you'd plug in. No way. They just have that one piece that, of that guitar. That's so cool. And um, <laughs> the other funny thing, I was in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was in New York, this was like the last trip I did before the pandemic out of Canada. Right. At the Met Museum, they had this exhibit of rock and roll instruments Ooh, cool I'll, I'll have to show you some pictures after because yeah, it's man. crazy I'd love um to see but they had a ton of uh who instruments including pete's sg that he used at woodstock oh so wow that's so cool you got to see it in person man. yeah no, what it was a... it was a bit of a religious experience i mean yeah the stuff they had in there was unbelievable so didn't he toss that guitar out into the audience after uh, well, he definitely smashed it, but I believe that they said that they put it back together. Whoever acquired came, it, yeah, put right. it back together. Oh, cool. Yeah, That's... there was a few guitars where it was like the headstock broke off, but we glued it back on oh, or whatever. Sure, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So uh, before we move into discussion about who's next, uh, I'll give some fast facts for those who haven't uh, listened to it or don't know much about it. Who's Next is the fifth album by legendary British band The Who. It was released on August 14, 1971. Uh, The songs from the album came from a project called Lifehouse, a rock opera that Pete Townsend wrote to be the follow-up to Tommy. Uh, But after the project fell through, the band decided to record the songs from, uh, from Lifehouse as a standalone album. So that was that clue. Right. Uh, and as I mentioned also, it, some of the songs have become rock and roll staples, including uh, Baba O'Reilly, Behind Blue Eyes, and Won't Get Fooled Again. Iconic. Oh yeah. my goodness. So I wanted to talk a bit about Lifehouse for those who don't know about it. So mm. in 1969, The Who released Tommy, which was a revolutionary album in that it was one of the first ever rock operas where all the songs on the album told a story. Yeah. Um, and Pete began work on the band's next project a year later in 1970, uh, and it was going to be Lifehouse, which was another uh, rock opera. Uh, just, I have a bit of a snippet of the plot here uh, that I got off Wikipedia. But uh, Lifehouse was set in the uh, Lifehouse was set in the future 
in a society in which music is banned and most of the population live indoors in government-controlled experience suits. A rebel, Bobby, broadcasts rock music into the suits, allowing people to remove them and become more enlightened. Some elements accurately describe future technology. For example, the grid resembles the internet and grid sleep virtual reality. Uh, so Lifehouse, they were going to make an album and they were also going to make a movie sure. of it. Right. Um, and Pete wanted to develop the material live with an audience because the big theme of the album was like communion through music. Right. So in early 1971, they played some shows at the Young Vic Theater in London to try and like, they were basically going to play the songs and bounce ideas off with the audience. Oh, cool. But it didn't work. The audience just wanted them to play My Generation. So (laughs) Yeah, for sure. They started recording the songs, but um, they scrapped the original takes at the suggestion of Glenn Johns. And then they just decided to cancel the Lifehouse uh, project right but this they kept the songs mm-hmm. and that's what ended up on who's next i see i i do think if pete because i pete was sort of like i think it was like too big of an idea what he wanted to do with lifehouse right but i think if he kind of like just took the story as it was i think it could have been something, amazing something tangible yeah it would have been like a great trilogy because you'd have tommy lifehouse and quadrophenia mm-hmm. three albums that tell stories very unique stories yeah that's yeah. really cool um so i thought we would go through the album track by track here and you can chime in of course uh with any thoughts yeah uh so it starts off with baba o'reilly which is <laughs> one of the most like sonic sounds so- sonic sounding pieces you it's, could ever get it's that keyboard intro is so cool i know the, yeah the repeater or whatever he uses the just, synthesizer it's yeah. just great yeah like I think it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I remember talking about that song with my uncle and he was like, the first time I heard it, it was like the craziest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And <laughs> I, I think like most people, when you hear it, it's kind of like, whoa, like it's just far out. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, the second song on the album is bargain, which is sort of one of my favorite, like, I guess, deep cuts from the band. Cause mm-hmm. it's not really, no one ever really talks about it, but I, I love it. And, Mm-hmm. When I, I saw The Who, when they last played in Calgary in 2016, and they played that. Yeah. And that was like, oh, nice. Like, yeah. it's like they did that for me. It was refreshing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, then uh, then uh, we move on to Love Ain't For Keeping and My Wife, which was written by bassist John Entwistle. Yeah, that's right. And My Wife is actually the only song on the album that wasn't written for Lifehouse. So it's kind of... An extra edition yeah. record. I see. Uh, then we have The Song Is Over, which ends side one of the album. Mm-hmm. And that was written to be the finale of Lifehouse. And I think it's actually one of the band's best ballads. Right. Um, then starting with side two, you have uh, Getting In Tune and Going Mobile. Mm-hmm. And then the album ends with uh, Behind Blue Eyes and Won't Get Fooled Again, which right. is a song that must be played loud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course. Especially the... Uh... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that song, like that, when I was first getting into the Who, that was the one that really sold me mm. because I love Pete's guitar on that song. The tone is just it, perfect. It's so awesome, and yeah. and everything they do together, including um, Keith's drum fills and won't get fooled again. They're just like all 
working together the whole time. Yeah. It's such a great song. Something cool about Pete's guitar that he used on this album, it was a 1957 Gretsch. Oh, that's that, great. That was given to him by Joe Walsh. Oh, man. Joe. And it's funny because Joe Walsh uh, gave Jimmy Page the Les Paul that he used yeah, with the, Led Zeppelin. The 59 Burst or yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I guess Joe was a pretty good guitar salesman. Yeah, he <laughs> knew uh, who to give the right access to. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to go back to Won't Get Fooled Again because you were mentioning uh, just everything about it. I think mm-hmm. it is like the perfect Who track. Because you got, you know, you got Pete's like loud guitar on it. Mm-hmm. John Entwistle's amazing bass playing. He's just, you know, doing what he does. Oh, it's so good. Which yeah. I, I mean, yeah, he plays like a lead guitarist, really, in a way. Essentially, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know, Roger Daltrey just has got his amazing vocals and great the screaming. Yeah, totally. And, and like uh, fighting in the streets, you know, like just like the imagery about his lyrics mm-hmm. or in his lyrics in that is yeah, just those, great. Those are Pete's lyrics. Yeah, but, right, right. Um, but still, yeah, he captures it well, you know, like yeah. they do a good job. So. And then, of course, Keith Moon's drumming <sighs> is also a master class, I guess, on Out, that song. Outrageous, yeah. And it's also um, kind of like with, Baba O'Reilly, it's very important for the development of the synthesizer mm-hmm. uh, because at that point in time, the synthesizer was still a relatively new piece of technology. Mm. Uh, and I think Pete really demonstrated how you can use it to create songs. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, and I think Pink Floyd kind of saw how, what mm. they were doing with it and it just kind of blew up even more. Like, yeah, yeah, I think that's great. And it's funny, like, when you look at pictures of, like, because Pete had a kind of like a home studio where he recorded demos. Right. And, like, yeah, he's got, like, those synthesizers that are just, like, as big as a wall <laughs> and, like, have just cables everywhere and stuff. It's yeah. crazy. And it's just a lot to look at. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how they figured out how to use all that stuff. Man, yeah, well, <laughs> that's it. I'm, I mean, I'm sure they got some sounds out of it and they were like, man, let's, let's use this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So after this album, the band made another rock opera with uh, Quadrophenia, mm-hmm. which really was their last album that was like that big in scope. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of like, uh, yeah, they sort of, yeah, they never really made anything like as grand as Tommy, Who's Next, and Quadrophenia. For sure. Um, and it's kind of crazy looking at Who's Next and thinking like seven years later, Keith Moon's dead mm-hmm. and the band's never really the same again for sure um it's kind of crazy how time flies for a lot of these bands and oh of course yeah, yeah i i find it so fascinating how the who like got another drummer like like someone, kenny jones yeah someone yeah. was telling me they literally were at their show and they, they oh they are they, may that may, that may be a different story altogether but I, they they needed a drummer and they asked the audience that, and yeah someone came up yeah i that was when keith I think that was on the Quadrophenia tour, so like right. 73, 74. So that was a bit earlier. So. And Keith was just passing out. He kept he was so drunk that he just kept passing out. And yeah, then right. they brought on, they were just like, does anyone know how to play drums? And then they yeah. just pulled the guy out yeah, of the crowd. And, and he appeared to do a good job, I yeah. guess, which is awesome. So, But yeah, Ken, Kenny Jones was the guy they replaced when Keith died, passed away. Right, yeah, right. He was in uh, like the small faces and oh, right. faces with Rod Stewart. That's and stuff. right. Yeah, cool. Um, now uh, I, I wanted to ask you what. Uh, give me your top five Who albums. 
Oh man, I, I, or just or just your favorite one if you can't think of. Oh that. yeah, no, for sure, man. I mean, in terms of who albums, well, I'll give you top three. Um, Tommy's my third favorite, uh, just because, like, you know, even though it was like really kind of iconic and like first like rock opera and very conceptual, um, I found it interesting when they got super specific in their songs, like like. In comparison to "Won't Get Fooled Again," you know, Pete's lyrics are yeah. are really. Um, I feel like they're a bit more relatable as opposed to, to Tommy. Tom, again, it's very specific, and if you watch the film, it's it, the music goes hand in hand with kind of what you're seeing, and yeah. of course. But it's yeah, I think for that reason, I just can relate to Tommy as much as I think I wanted to. Um, it sounds great though, um, and I I really respect them for like coming up with a concept Mm -hmm. because i think it was so new at the time Oh, totally like the one of the only other concept albums probably was like sergeant peppers yeah at that time which we all know how iconic that one is so yeah um yeah i'd say that and then second favorite who album was is probably uh, which has Pinball Wizard on it? That's it's, Tommy. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd say my second favorite one was the one with my generation on it. Like that's the, like their first album. Yeah, literally their first record. Just because they um, kind of invented punk. In oh a yeah, way. yeah, totally. And like you can even hear like Pete flicking his switch between treble and rhythm yeah. in uh, my generation, obviously. And it's just like. I don't know how many people know what he's doing when he's doing that. That do 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 do. Yeah. But like, for me, I, I can hear what he's doing. I can see him doing that. Yeah. And you're right. It's very raw and like in your face, and him just flicking the switch is like attitude. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So I love uh, I love that record. And then probably who's next for sure, just as my number one, because Bob O'Reilly was like excellent behind blue eyes lyrically like influenced me a lot when mm-hmm. i first initially kind of started and uh yeah won't get fooled again is the cherry on top man i mean there's if you like have ever seen tenacious d in the pick of destiny you know how important the power slide is yeah <laughs> <laughs> and in that film they demonstrate literally right. straight from a who show yeah uh pete townsend doing the the power slide and that's just like the very definition of rock and roll, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about uh, going back to my generation, mm-hmm. but uh, Jimmy Page actually did some session work on that album. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't think... Not surprised. <laughs> I think the songs that he played on, I don't think they made it on the record, but like they've been included on like special editions and stuff. Wow, I'm going to have to find him. I've yeah. never, I'd never heard that he... Uh, yeah, he did, he did work with, with The Who there. Yeah, there's, he worked with bloody everyone yeah <laughs> um and i i mentioned earlier but i saw the who play at the saddle dome in calgary in uh, 2016 which is my only who show uh and they were just amazing because uh you know pete and roger were just really both on their games that night totally. like won't get fooled again that roger did the screams like perfectly like bang on yeah. and like i was there too man and oh, i saw yeah. pete uh do the yeah do the windmill and yeah. you're like dude it how like yeah. this like well, these guys are excellent they're yeah. true showmen like yeah and it's good um because on that tour they were recording 
all of their shows and you could download them the night before. So oh, I, I have that show. That uh, you went to see. Yeah. Oh, man. I and, didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, I could give it to you if you oh, wanted. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, you, you have seen them at that show. Was yeah. there any other times you've seen them? or That was the only time I got to see The Who as well. I mean, I figured because, I mean, at the stage they're at and – I, who knows how long, much longer the be touring so mm-hmm. i was like i gotta see him right now man yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it's probably like them and rush are the best concerts i've been to oh killer yeah yeah i've never i've unfortunately never been lucky enough to see rush live but i know um oh man they're just technically so yeah excellent man rest in peace neil pert exactly oh yeah I'm glad I, I I saw them on the last tour, so yeah, glad dear. I went. Good work. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, and I, when I mentioned uh, that I went to New York there uh, pre-pandemic, but mm-hmm. um, when I was in New York, the Who was actually playing at Madison Square Garden. No way. And I didn't go. And looking back on it, I wish I did. I went. I was on the Stephen Colbert show that same night. Oh, that's still pretty wicked. Though. Um. But honestly, I wish I went to see the Who. It, it's yeah. I mean, you you don't know when. I mean, they don't come out this way very often. So it's true. And going to Madison Square Garden would have been nice as well. But yeah, the funny thing is that um, earlier this week, so we're recording in February right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just announced they're going on tour uh, this year, and I was thinking, I wonder if they're going uh, on tour again. But yeah, the other day it's like, yep, full, well, here we go full on tour. Wow. That's so. I'm full respect to the guys, man. That yeah. is, that's tough being, you know, having done it for so long and they're still like, let's do it, man. Yeah, Another exactly. Another tour. I love it. I exactly. love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've reached the end of episode four. I want to thank Mitchell Brady of the Static Shift for being an awesome guest and having us here at the beautiful studio at Broken Tap Records. It's been great talking with you. Hey, Jackson. Thanks very much for coming today, man. I'm honored to be on the show and uh, can't wait to give it a listen when it comes out, man. For sure, yeah. (laughs) As always, I want to thank our listeners who have been tuning in every week. Uh, Make sure to leave reviews wherever you're listening. But as I say, tell your friends about the podcast. Podcasts live and die by word of mouth. So if you have friends that love music, maybe get them to check us out. We're also on Instagram at Guess That Record, so a follow over there is much appreciated. Remember to keep rocking, and we'll see you on the next episode of Guess That Record. <laughs>